Welcome to Peace and All Good with the Archdiocese of Atlanta Zone, Archbishop Gregory John Hartmeyer, a five-episode unique series exploring God-filled life experiences with parishioners. Brought to you in part by the Catholic Foundation of North Georgia and moderated by Father Michael Silloway on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. It is a great joy and honor to be bringing to the airwaves for the first time peace and all good with Archbishop Gregory Hartmeyer. Archbishop, it's a great joy to have you with us today, and thank you for making the time to make this a priority. Thank you, Father Michael. Thank you for the invitation to be on Quest, and I'm looking forward to uh, spending this time with you. Awesome. Well, just for some background information on how we got here, um, there was a priest of the Archdiocese in the name of Father Dan Ketter who thought it would be a really great opportunity to introduce the Archbishop who came to us during a pandemic uh, to give him a, a new way of reaching out to many other people, a, a parish you may have not, may not have been to yet, or people who haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, uh, people you haven't had the privilege to meet yet. Um, what are your hopes and dreams, Archbishop, as this thing has, has now begun and we're here? Uh, what, what are you hoping to get out of this radio program? Well, uh, it's a perfect medium for um, proclaiming the word, evangelizing, uh, teaching, being catechetical, um, giving some ho hopeful uh, insight into people's questions and um, maybe come to know a little bit more about the Catholic faith and the things that we believe and why we believe them. Excellent. And that's exactly what uh, I'm understanding as well, too. And I'm, I firmly am a believer in the power of radio. I myself love to listen to the radio, talk radio shows, news shows, you name it. It's a very popular and powerful medium uh, to reach out to people. And we're just so glad that everyone here is listening and you're taking the opportunity to be with us. Um, the theme of the show, Archbishop, is called Peace and All Good. I know that's a particular Franciscan motto. Could you tell us more about it? Well, it's um, a motto that St. Francis of Assisi would often use when greeting uh, a person or a group of people. First of all, wishing them peace and all good things. It's a, a pleasant blessing that he, he uh, greets people with, and uh, it kind of speaks to his spirituality and his understanding of God's goodness in the world and wanting to share that with others. And if I'm not mistaken, the... Um the basilica where St. Francis himself is buried in the bushes out in front, pox et bonum is, is, is hedged, carved into those hedges there. That's correct. Right in front of the, uh, there's three basilicas, one on top of each other, uh, in a CZ and the bottom crypt basilica is, uh, where the body of St. Francis of Assisi is. And, um, it's a well visited place. It's been there since his death. Uh, in um, in the early eight uh, early twelve hundreds, and and so it's a great place for pilgrimage. But as you say, outside uh, on the lawn, uh, carved in the uh, bushes, uh, are the words "pax et bonum," which is Latin for peace and good. A greeting to all who come to Assisi to experience that peace and goodness that is so prevalent uh, in Assisi today. Awesome. It's a beautiful place. Beautiful place. And do you have any plans uh, to make any pilgrimages to Assisi? 
Well, I am going to be going uh, in September because we have um, a deacon that is uh, a deacon candidate who is be pre- preparing for his diaconate in Rome, um, hopefully on September the 29th. And uh, I look forward to going there and also then spending some time in Assisi as well. Awesome. Archbishop, we're we're very excited to have you in the Archdiocese because, as, as you know, um, when now Cardinal Wilton Gregory uh, was called up to D.C., we, we spent some time without an archbishop. And it was, uh, I mean, mad props go out to Bishop Kanzen and Bishop Schlesinger. They did a fantastic job of keeping the church well-organized and functioning in the middle of a global pandemic. But then the news came that uh, the Holy Father had appointed you. Um, having been in the archdiocese already as a priest and pastor, um, what is it like coming back as a bishop? Well, it's um, kind of surreal in many ways because I was here for 16 years uh, as a pastor in two places, one at uh, St. Philip and Easy in Jonesboro. I was pastor there for 15 years. And then uh, in Lithia Springs, St. John Vianney, I was there just 12 months before I received the call from um, the nuncio representing Pope Benedict to go to Savannah as uh, the, the uh, 14th Bishop of Savannah. So I was there for nine years, and I got to know and love the place and the priests there and the people and uh, it was a different way of life. It's a mission diocese, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it's very historical and colonial and very quaint. Uh, and so I was very happy there and expected to be buried there. <laughs> but then I received another call from the nuncio, a different one, but uh, the nuncio for the United States from uh, of Pope Francis, and he asked me to... Um, well, I'm not sure he asked me. I think he said... Uh, I am naming you the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And so I had to take a deep breath because um, I had spent so much time there and knew so many priests there. It would be like going home. And then that's exactly how it has been, even though we've had this pandemic, as as you mentioned. Um, so it kind of made my arrival a little different than it would be normally. And, and, uh, and so a lot of people weren't able to participate in... Um, in my installation. Uh, but nonetheless, I wanted to get to work. So I asked uh, that we go ahead with the installation and we did. And, um, uh, I feel very, very comfortable here in Atlanta. Uh, things change. Uh, of course, I, I was away for almost nine years of being Bishop of Savannah. Uh, so I missed about eight years of ordinations. Uh, and I'm catching up with coming to know those uh, those young men who have been ordained while I was in Savannah. Uh, but it's uh, certainly nice to be with the uh, the priests that I do know and have served to, together here in Atlanta with them during the 16 years I was here uh, prior to going to Savannah. Awesome. Awesome. And as you've established yourself here um, and you've been visiting parishes um, and the Holy Father has declared, you know, a, a universal synod for the church, um, there are many pastoral initiatives and priorities that I have to imagine weigh upon your heart. But one of the things that, that I have recognized as something very close to your own heart and seems to be a high priority for you is Eucharistic renewal. Yes, uh, and it's um, coincidental that the USCCB, the uh, United States uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops, has uh, inaugurated a three-year 
period of Eucharistic renewal in all of the parishes uh, throughout the United States. And so we began our experience of the revival uh, on October the 17th in the cathedral with a special mass uh, kicking off the year of renewal, which will be celebrated first and foremost at the diocesan level as we are able to uh, bring back the Eucharistic Congress that we've had to postpone for two years because of the pandemic. And so on the Feast of uh, Corpus Christi, June the 17th and 18th, we will enjoy and come together with the rest of the the diocese and those uh, thousands that would normally come. This will be our 25th Eucharistic Congress in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And um, so we're planning that with great speakers in various languages. And uh, we look forward to that year of diocesan renewal uh, regarding devotion and appreciation and knowledge uh, and catechesis regarding the Eucharist. The second year is going to be uh, at the parish level. And so at the Eucharistic Congress this year coming up, uh, we will commission uh, delegates for every parish in the archdiocese to become sort of the liaison between the diocese and the individual parishes throughout the diocese and to begin uh, an intense year of catechesis and adoration and Eucharistic celebration in every parish. And then the third year, uh, we will have a national Eucharistic Congress um, in the month of July uh, in Indianapolis. It will be hosted there in that archdiocese. So we're hoping to have uh, somewhere around 75,000 people throughout the United States come together to celebrate the Eucharist uh, and to proclaim um, our faith and devotion to the Eucharist and our uh, gratitude for having it. Uh, so so relevant and yet so available uh, to each of us as uh, as Catholics. Well, that is fantastic. I hadn't heard about the Indianapolis component yet. Maybe I just hadn't read enough, but um, that is awesome. So many good things coming down the lane for us. And uh, as we're beginning this radio show and we're taking in this theme of Eucharistic renewal in the Archdiocese and the Church in the United States, uh, we are excited that our very first theme is the theme of the Eucharist, our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament, uh, to share on our first uh, broadcast of Peace and All Good. And we are very blessed to be joined today in the studio by Sue Winslow. Sue, how are you doing today? I am fine, and thank you for having me here. It's an honor to be here today, and I am excited to talk about the Eucharist and my love for it and how it has changed my life in so many ways. Sue, where are you from? I am from originally from Ohio. Um, I'm a cradle Catholic, born there and lived there until 2007. My husband and I and our children moved down here to Lawrenceville, Georgia, and we have been parishioners at St. Lawrence um, ever since then. Uh, we come from a very, very small parish up there. So moving down to St. Lawrence was quite a big change. But um, we're very we're very happy there, and it's a beautiful parish. Yeah, your name was recommended to us by the pastor there, Father Henry, when um, we were looking for potential candidates to have on the show to talk about their love of the Eucharist. He said, you've got to talk to Sue. You've got to. <laughs> And when I asked him, I asked him, what's so special about Sue? He said, she has a devotion to the Eucharist unlike anything I've ever seen. 
Um, yes, I do. Uh, over the past several years, uh, I've become very much very close to the Eucharist um, in adoration. And um, it's like there's no end. The more I go, the more I want to go. I just want to keep getting closer to Jesus. Um, he has worked in my life so many different ways. And I just um, want to continue that experience. And uh, yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about how the, the match got struck in your own heart for the love of the Eucharist? What, what kind of kicked off your devotion for the Eucharist? Um, okay, well, it's um, kind of a long story. It's my conversion, I guess. Um, I was born a cradle Catholic, um, made my sacraments and everything. and But I ran into some problems when I was 15. I uh, had a un very unfortunate thing happen. And I went down the wrong road. Um, I've always had a special love for Jesus, but I made a lot of bad decisions, um, which led to drugs and a lot of bad choices. And um, by age 19, I was in a very dark place, and um, I just wanted to end it, and I tried it. And by the grace of God, uh, he saved me. He rescued me. And... He has given me another chance, a second chance, and I'll never forget several days after that, um, I was, I can remember exactly where I was. I was driving to work one day and it, all of a sudden, I just felt like God had reached inside of me and like lifted me up ever so gently and just like shook me and then put me back down. And all I remember hearing in my mind was, go. But in my heart, I could feel him saying, you're forgiven. Go, start anew. And that was such a powerful moment in my life that I did. I turned my whole life around. A year later, met my husband. Uh, we're both, he was Catholic also. We started going to Mass regularly receiving the Eucharist. Um, and then what happened too was it led me to go to confession. So um, going to confession, but <laughs> it was a long road because even after that, I, um, always, I had these doubts in my head of, it would just pop in. Um, what What if God doesn't forgive you? You know, mm -hmm. and these thoughts popped in my head for quite some time, and it got me to the point of thinking, you know, what if I'm not forgiven? Um, and I know now, looking back, you know, that was that wasn't coming from God. And so I went back to confession. I had a, we came from a very small parish, like I said, and the priest was really good and talked to me and everything and confessed everything. And I'll tell you, if you haven't been to confession, it is the Eucharist will make you want to go because it really frees you. Amen. Yes. And then the last part was what going to confession, God gave me the grace to forgive. And that was the final blessing I truly was able to 
forgive and tell God that I forgive everyone that has hurt me. And if if you have never, if you've had any bad relationships with anyone, um, go to confession and God will give you the grace to forgive them. And it is the most, it's undescribable how it lifts you up and frees you from everything. And from there, it's just been one to church. I became Eucharistic minister at our old church. I was here for the hospitals, um, going to adoration, and it just changes your whole life, everything Amen. about it. Amen. Yes. And thank you. Thank you for sharing, particularly some, some of those vulnerable moments. Yes. You know, about the heaviness that can weigh upon the heart um, and then how the Lord brought you out of it and praise God for it. Yes. That's so awesome. Yes. Yes, it is. Because uh, that's, that's the main point of how he stood by me and just kept directing me and leading me. And at the time I'm just going about it. um, And now when I look back, I can see. So I'm still asking him what now, (laughs) where's he leading me now? (laughs) Continuing conversion. Yes. And always following. That's amazing. Sue, you're, you're, Conversion story is very compelling, and it's not unlike many of the saints in in our Christian history who had similar conversions of, and experiences like your own. And I'm sure that many of our listeners um, have have maybe um, have had similar experiences, or at least have uh, a desire uh, to lift from them the burden that has been so heavy on their shoulders for so long. And uh, if we could only recognize how easy it it would be uh, for us to have that burden lifted in a way only God can do it, and that is through the sacrament of reconciliation. And it's interesting that you brought it up because it's a parallel revival that we are coupling together with our understanding and belief in the Eucharist uh, because they're very much uh, related. Uh, And to come to know Christ in a closer and more intimate way there's no better way than to be as prepared and as um, as pure and and as um, as holy as we possibly can to be open to the graces that we would receive from the Eucharist, because um, it is it is such a great gift that we have been given to be able to forgive our sins. And you know, a lot of uh, a, a lot of people who are not familiar with the Catholic tradition or are not Catholics themselves know that confe- that Catholics do go to confession. Yes. Uh, they do confess to a priest. And many of them have the question in their mind, well, why do I have to go to another human being to forgive my sins? I, I can simply talk to God myself. And I can, um, you know, I can tell him how sorry I am and how contrite I am. And I know he will hear me because he's God and he knows I'm sincere. And And so I don't understand why Catholics have to go into that space in, in their churches and and talk to a priest and tell them what they've done uh, in order to really be forgiven. And we do so, and we call it a sacrament, and we have seven in the Catholic faith. And this particular sacrament, like all of them, is instituted by Christ himself when he gave the power to the apostles to forgive sins. And all throughout uh, the Gospels, particularly, sin is 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 equated with with death and darkness, and it is Christ who can bring us to uh, the light. And the apostles have been ordained to do that, and that ordination has 
been passed down through the ages and given priests the power to forgive sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's, there, there's something also psychologically healthy about it is because, first of all, when you're in the room with a priest, whether it's anonymous or whether it's face-to-face, uh, you always have the choice. When we confess our sins to the priest, we hear ourselves say the sins, and we own them. We really own them. When we say them out loud, they're ours. And, and then to a, enable another person to hear those sins and then to say the words, and I forgive you, I absolve you from all your sins, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's something about hearing the words that I am forgiven that puts a, a, it, it puts a certainty in, in my heart. It, I, I'm not guessing whether, did God really forgive me? Or did I really think that maybe he did hear me? Or did I say all the right things? Or... It, when we hear those words prayed over the person making the confession from a priest, those are the words of absolution by Christ himself. And we are simply instruments uh, by virtue of our ordination. And the person who hears those words um, feels the, the, the heaviness of sin really lifted from their shoulders. And that's why the sacrament is really a, a great gift to us, to be able to hear that we are truly forgiven, and uh, that we can start again. Well, you know, this was one of the kind of big aha moments for myself and my own coming of age in the faith. I was a cradle Catholic as well, and um, I took a lot of things for granted and never really thought about or processed things. But I began to to understand, and it actually wasn't until after going to seminary. I kind of did things backwards. Normally, you should become a disciple of Jesus Christ first and then go to seminary. But the Lord had me on a very unique journey. But coming to understand what something, what it means for something to be a sacrament, that God desires to be tangible. He doesn't want to remain this ethereal kind of um, purely um, imminent and far away and distant reality. He wants to be right here. Like your soul was crying out for that in your teenage years and your young adulthood years and that, that heavy sorrow. But then the Lord broke in to show how close he is to you. And then there's a great confirmation of that by him forgiving you through the sacrament of reconciliation by then him drawing you into the mystery of his Eucharistic presence saying, Sue, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you can come before me to pray. You can receive me as you receive Holy communion. You and I will be one. I I want to be encountered. I want to be touched. I want to be heard. I want to be felt and embraced and know that you are as well. Like that's, to me, that's what I think the the marvel of our sacramental faith is, is it makes God, quote unquote, tangible, experienceable, relatable and relationable. And you mentioned something so beautiful about, um, you know, after, after having that explosion of grace by the Lord breaking into your mind and your heart, giving you the freedom of your sins through the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, and then drawing you into his Eucharistic presence and you continue on in your Eucharistic journey that for you, uh, you sought to become an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. Tell us about um, like why you like to do that and what, what it means to you to be an extraordinary minister of the sacrament. Uh, yes. Um, when we were uh, up in Ohio, my husband, my oldest daughter and myself 
were all three uh, Eucharistic ministers. And, and I remember the very first time that the three of us were up there, at, and it was just such a special feeling because receiving it, but actually giving it to someone else to receive Jesus through communion, through the Eucharist, um, was just such a special feeling. Uh, I felt like I felt like it was such an honor to do that. And then when we moved down here, I was um, a Eucharistic minister for uh, Gwinnett Medical Center, which Northside Gwinnett Hospital now. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that going into the patients. And you never knew when you were going to walk in the room what they were going to be like. But they always welcomed you with such a warm feeling and were so, no matter how sick they were, they were just so happy that I was there to offer that to them. And it's a wonderful feeling. And I, I think it's a wonderful honor to be able to do that. Amen. And I would echo the same sentiment. I, I remember in my home parish, which was Peachtree City, uh, Holy Trinity, um, right after confirmation, they would invite any of the teens who had received confirmation to apply to become an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. And um, I did just because I felt like this is a way I can get involved. But the, I remember that feeling the first time I held one of those saboria, the, the bowl containing the sacred hosts, like something hit me. I didn't understand all the theology that surrounds transubstantiation. And, and I would, wouldn't even necessarily known the words true presence or anything like this. It was like, this is something very, very holy. And it's... Uh, almost like some kind of spirit, we'll call it grace. It's grace. The Lord doing something, even just standing there holding that. Archbishop, can you re- recall back to the time when you first administered the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Well, of course, uh, Father Michael, I'm much older than you. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I lived through the pre-Vatican Council, uh, the second Vatican Council itself, and then the time afterward when uh, Eucharist was being um, permitted to be distributed by uh, the laity who are trained and, and uh, who reach uh, a certain level of qualification regarding age and, and, and status within the church in terms of their, um, uh, of their freedom uh, from, from any impediments that would, would not permit them to, to be extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist. Uh, so I don't remember exactly whether I was a seminarian. I think I probably was a seminarian because I was in the seminary just after the Second Vatican Council, and those changes were just beginning. And, and so I, I believe that it was sometime during my early years of seminary that I was permitted uh, to uh, assist with the distribution of the Eucharist. So it, it certainly is a, an honor, as Sue has mentioned, uh, my mom and dad were Eucharistic ministers um, uh, as I uh, grew up and finished seminary and became a priest. Uh, and I was so honored that they um, were willing to serve the church in that capacity. And uh, and I was very proud of them uh, because they're the ones who taught me. Uh, of course, my first teachers were my parents. And um, it's good to, to see them live out their faith uh, in ministry, but particularly during the Mass, and uh, think so much of the Eucharist uh, to be, uh, to be um, willing to and wanting to uh, distribute the Eucharist to their fellow parishioners. Amen. Christ in our hands, in our hearts. Yes. 
Friends, let's take a break. Then when we come back, we're going to continue to ask Sue more about uh, her love and devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, even the practice of adoration. He is in all good with the Archdiocese of Atlanta's own Archbishop Gregory John Hartmeyer will continue on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Thanks to the Catholic Foundation of North Georgia for a grant supporting this program. They work with Catholics to make a real difference in our Catholic community to support their individual causes. The Catholic Foundation is a partner of parishes, schools, ministries, and nonprofits in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. This is Lisa Popchek from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Peace and all good with the Archdiocese of Atlanta's own Archbishop Gregory John Hartmeyer, moderated by Father Michael Silloway, continues now on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. So just before the break, uh, we were sharing about um, our love of the Eucharist, uh, this beautiful reality of, of how the Lord has worked in our lives through it. And we're joined again by Sue Winslow from St. Lawrence in Lawrenceville. And she shared this beautiful encounter she had with the Lord and how he had brought healing into her heart from a very difficult time and sustains her now in her faith. And during this break, it came to light that we should probably backtrack. The three of us around this table, uh, we, to the best of our abilities, we understand the Eucharist, that profound mystery. Um, But a lot of research recently has come forward showing that um, even in the Catholic Church, like set aside everyone who's outside the Catholic Church and actively practicing the faith, but even within the Catholic Church, there's a lot of confusion um, and and wrong uh, error, ig- ignorance, let's call it, around the topic of the Eucharist. Um, so I'm going to put you in the hot seat for a second, Miss Sue, uh-huh. with um, um, with what the the Lord has done in you and your own coming to understand what the Eucharist is, how would you share that with somebody? What, how would you define this gift of the Eucharist? Oh, yes. Okay. So the, the Eucharist is Jesus. Okay. It is the most holy sacrament that we as Catholics can receive um, because it is actually Jesus coming into us. Um, the best way I can explain it is, um, thinking that 
you know, when Jesus did had the Last Supper, he himself instituted the Eucharist, his body. This is how he chose to come to us. Uh, we didn't pick this. God chooses this to be the way to come into us, to come into our lives if we open up and we receive him. And then the other thing that I've worked on over years about receiving the Eucharist is making a loving, pleasing um, environment so inside of me. So before I go up to communion, before I receive the Eucharist, we want to get rid of anything that separates us from God, um, any anger we're carrying, any bitterness, um, any jealousy, anything like that, because we want to make room to receive the Eucharist, receive Jesus completely, wholly into ourselves and let him work in our lives. He's willing to do that. He loves us if we allow him to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you said it best in the, in the very simple phrase, the Eucharist is Jesus Christ. Yes. That uh, the church has always maintained and believed and practiced um, this idea that Jesus gave himself to the church, gave us, as we say, a memorial of his passion, of his death and his resurrection, his whole self in the gift of the true bread that comes down from heaven. Um, Archbishop, what would you add to um, this, our understanding of the Eucharist? What, how would you define it? Well, I think there, there was an, evol an evolution of, of the revelation of what the Eucharist uh, is to us today, uh, beginning in the Old Testament. And the Eucharist really is, um, it, it's a, uh, a source of strength, nourishment. It's, it's food. And Moses received uh, bread from heaven uh, in, the, in the form of manna. Uh, the the uh, Israelites uh, left uh, Egypt in such a rush and crossed the Red Sea that the bread that they were baking, uh, they did not have time to put leaven in it. And so it was a very unleavened bread, flat bread, that uh, the, the, the heat of the day on on hard rocks was able to, to to bake the bread for their nourishment on their journey. And so going back into the Old Testament, there's a variety of um, prototypes, so to speak, of uh, what the Eucharist is going to mean for us once Jesus becomes a human person and suffers, dies, and offers um, himself as the sacrifice that is acceptable to redeem us from our sins. And, and so we... We celebrate the Passover at the Eucharistic celebration, um, but it also then has a New Testament uh, significance because Jesus himself calls himself the bread of life. And it's the bread at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died, that he took into his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. And so he was giving that instruction to the apostles so that they would continue this celebration uh, and feed those who will come to what we come to know as the early church. And he did the same with the cup. 
the cup of wine, which was ordinary food, just as as uh, bread is. Uh, wine is an ordinary drink uh, for the time uh, of Jesus. And, and so he took the cup of wine and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take this all of you and drink from it for this is the cup of my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. And so these are very special words to Catholics during the Mass as we believe the bread, the unleavened bread and the wine uh, change. They transform the, the very essence, we say, uh, of, of the bread and the wine changes. The appearance doesn't change. It still looks like bread and tastes like bread. But we believe that there's an ontological change uh, within that bread and wine that changes into the body of blood of Christ because Jesus said it did. And he told us to do the same. And he is, as I said, he called himself the bread of life. He didn't say, I'm like the bread of life. Uh, he didn't say, this is like my body. He said, this is my body. And so we have been commanded and ordained to continue that tradition of celebrating the Mass, the Passover, the new Passover, from sin to grace, from life, to, uh, from death to life in the resurrection, and uh, to celebrate the Eucharist as an act of thanksgiving, which is what the word Eucharist means. Thanking God for the gift of his Son, uh, the Word became flesh uh, and dwelt among us. And on that altar of sacrifice, each and every time the Eucharist is celebrated, that bread and that wine changes into the body and the blood of Christ. And praise God for it. You know, as you're highlighting some of those Old Testament themes, you remind me of Fulton Sheen, a great bishop from New York. I can't remember when he was around 60s, 70s, I think. Um, had a fascinating little one-liner, as he tended to, in his great wisdom and wit, where he said, anybody who has something important to do the very least they could do is announce it ahead of time. If Ford is going to release a new truck, they're going to send out advertisements well ahead of time to get you excited about it. And he, he uses that to describe the, not only the coming of Christ in particular, that our Lord was pre-announced by all the prophets and, and even prefigured in the person of Moses and Elijah and, and all these ancient figures, but particularly with the Eucharist, how God was setting up this, this magnificent narrative arc and pre-announcing that he would feed his people physically, spiritually, truly, deeply by giving them this gift of the, the bread that comes down from heaven. Not like the one that Moses and the people ate where they were in the desert and still died, but the bread that will lead you to eternal life. And so all these Old Testament themes, uh, they're all there laying the foundation for for this magnificent and mysterious and, and strange, yet beautiful, ultimately beautiful unfolding of God's desire to be with us and to be in covenant with him, to belong to him and, and, and for us to, how do we say it? I, I'm, I will be your God and you will be my people for all of eternity. As we say at the mass too, um, that we eat this bread and drink this cup until he comes again. Um, 
this beautiful celebration. So anyway, it all comes together. All of the history of Israel, God was writing the story, foreshadowing, setting things in motion so that when his son enters into the world, uh, Jesus Christ comes in and delivers the way that God will be with his people uh, forever until the end of time. And, and the evangelist John, uh, in his gospel, gives us a, a beautiful meditation beginning with the sixth chapter, and it's called the Eucharistic Discourse. And uh, it is in that text, beginning with the sixth chapter of John, John's gospel, is when we really understand uh, how our knowledge of the Eucharist uh, came to be and, and how Jesus wants to feed us continuously, not, not just when he was on earth and he preached on the mountains and fed the 5,000 with bread and fish, but he wants the Eucharist to be celebrated and his presence to be felt in a real way now. In these days, anytime that we need him, he's there. Anytime we are hungry for him, he wants us uh, to be fed. And so he provides that spiritual food that is true and real uh, that give us the strength and the, and the grace uh, to face the challenges of our daily life. Yeah, and how within Christianity too, the, the, the recording of Scripture, the earliest brothers and sisters in the faith, Acts 2.42. I remember finding this one time in a Bible study, and it blew my mind that right there in the Acts of the Apostles, which is, is maintained to be, have been written by St. Luke himself, a continuation, a, a chapter two, as it were, book two of the now the life of the church post-resurrection. Right after Pentecost, we hear that what the apostles are doing is they're gathering together and they're bringing together all the new disciples who have been baptized into the Lord and received the gift of faith. They're doing a couple things in particular, Acts 2.42 says. They're dedicating themselves to the prayers. They're learning the teachings of the apostles, uh, the communal life. They're celebrating life together, living and sharing the experience of human life together, and the breaking of the bread. When, when I realized that last component in there, this, this wasn't just that they're sitting down and having a meal together. St. Luke is, is sharing that little tidbit of information with us. This is what the church was doing, yes, th throughout the evolution of Eucharistic theology and understanding. But from the very beginning, uh, the church gathered together to celebrate this gift of Jesus Christ constantly present with his church uh, through this mysterious sacrament. So the church always having from the beginning celebrated this great mystery, Christ being with us, truly present, um, I'm not sure where along the history of the church where this, this happened, but the, the building and constructing of tabernacles to reserve the Blessed Sacrament. From my understanding, it was for making sure that there was always Eucharist available for an emergency situation um, or somebody who was not able to make it to the Sunday gathering, the actual liturgy celebration. Um, it could be brought to the sick. But we have these tabernacles now in our church, usually gold boxes of some kind, little red candle next to it. Um, and when that candle's lit, my grandma taught me Jesus is present. He's always there. Uh, so Sue, as Father Henry indicated to us, um, he recognizes in you, along with many of his other parishioners, somebody who has a great desire to be close to the Lord. So tell us a little about Jesus present in the tabernacle. Tell us a little bit about your experience with 
adoring Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament, in the, the act of prayer we called adoration. Tell us, tell us about how um, you maintain your relationship with Christ through his presence in the Eucharist in the church. Yes. Um, okay, so I get asked, well, why do you have to go to adoration? Jesus is everywhere. And okay, yes, he is everywhere. But he is, when you walk into adoration and Jesus, the Eucharist is exposed and you are standing there, you cannot help but feel the presence, the holiness, the warmth, the love from God. And going there, to me, for how he has helped me so much throughout my life, I look forward to it. It's not a chore. It's not something I, I feel I have to do. Um, I actually get excited to go to adoration and just be there. Um, and every time I go, it's different. Sometimes I go and I just thank God for everything. Go down the line for all my blessings. Other times, I there's been times I've taken with me all my anxiety and my worries and um you know, one time I was really overloaded and I just went down the line <laughs> um, talking to God and asking him to, for guidance. And and I'm, as I'm sitting there in my mind, I, I'm just like all of a sudden I'm like, I hear, just trust me. And it and it clicked on me. That's all he's asking us is, you know, let him into your life, love him, spend time in adoration with him. He's willing to help us and, and trust him. And I left there and I was like, it's so simple, but yet it was such a powerful moment again. Um, so if anyone hasn't had the opportunity to go to adoration, I, I would say just go there. Just go there. Go there in silence. Just go there and pray. Go there. But just go there and experience being in the presence of him um, because it is definitely it's definitely moving. Well, a lot of people I know get kind of terrified about sitting in the church. Usually it's, it's, it's not like your full liturgical celebration. So during a time of adoration or exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, there's a couple of handfuls of people here and there praying. But the idea of just sitting in a church, there's no music. Uh, there's there's no scripture being read out loud. There's There's no mass happening. A lot of times people get very unnerved about, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, sitting here in this church. Yes. So, like I said, I would, there's many different things. You can go there and just pray. Go there. You can take a book. Um, I've taken some books that I am reading. And before I read them, I would just pray for this Holy Spirit to help me understand them. You know, um, you can go there and ask for God's help. Tell them, tell them what you're going through. He knows, but to go sit there in front of him and open up your heart and just tell him, you know, what you're going through and ask him, invite him into you and ask him for his help. Uh, that's what he wants us to do. That's He wants us to come to him. He's He chose us to come to us through the Eucharist and he wants us to go to receive him and go to adoration and spend time with him. I remember uh, reading uh, about Eucharistic adoration and, and someone was curious about 
what do you do during that time when you're sitting in your church and and the Eucharist is exposed, the Eucharist, which is kept in the tabernacle that Father Michael referred to, it's the tabernacle is like the New Testament version of the Ark of the Covenant. And so inside that tabernacle is the reserved host consecrated at a mass and is used for us to visit uh, and pray or used to distribute to the sick. Um, and, and so the, the answer to the question of what do you do sitting in front of the exposed body and blood of Christ in that monstrance, which is a Latin word which means to show, um, this is this is what the person responded. They said, well, I, I just sit there in, in front of the Eucharist, and Jesus looks at me, and I look at him. And then I, I listen to what he has to say, and then I talk to him. And then we do that until he's finished. <laughs> and then I can leave. And, and so there is this relationship. There's this conversation. There's this sense of of communication that exists between ourselves and God in a very deep but casual uh, conversation in prayer. It can be formal. We can pray the rosary. We can read uh, from a spiritual writer. Uh, or we can just talk to God in our own words. Yes. Absolutely. And something that's always stuck with me has been uh, the invitation to vulnerability. When you talked about how a lot of times when you go into adoration, you like to share what's on your heart. Yeah. If you've got something to to rejoice over, something you're proud of, something you're excited about, the Lord wants to rejoice with us. He wants to celebrate that with us. Um, but also um, to be authentic enough with him to say, Lord, not everything's perfect in my life right now. Um, and I need your grace to shine some light into some darkness. And I'm going to need you to help carry me across the finish line of this thing. Um, and to be that open with the Lord taking, you know, um, a page right out of his own book of the fact that here's what we're professing. I like to tell this to kids in preparation for first Holy communion. It's like, I'm actually, we're actually saying that the same Jesus Christ who can walk on water, the same Jesus Christ who made the blind see, the same Jesus Christ who brought people back from the dead, he's now up there on that altar. Like he's right there. The same Jesus Christ is right there. The same one who has existed from all of eternity with the Father and the Spirit. He, he's right there. So it's, it takes a lot to get your mind to wrap around that mystery, but to understand that, as you mentioned early on, this is what God has chosen to do. This is the path he chose, the, the instrument, the tool, the, the grace he gave us that he could be with us. Um, like Theologians call it the divine condescension of Jesus becoming man, but then Jesus Christ becoming the Eucharist. It's like how humble God is, how utterly vulnerable he is. And so he sits there waiting to, to speak to us to listen to us, to see us and be seen by him and to be seen by us. It's this, this profound sharing of vulnerability. It's, um, it's almost like, um, I can't remember who said it, but it's only the pierced heart knows how to love. And so it's sitting there before the Eucharist, the same Jesus who went to the cross to take away our sins and rose victorious over the grave, his own heart pierced open. He invites us to the same thing. 
Open your heart before me. Let me in. I will bring light into that darkness. You know, I like how you use that analogy for the First Communion um, because, of course, when I was ready to make my First Communion, I mean, I didn't understand fully what, you know, how God could become, you know, in this host or whatever. Um, I didn't understand what transubstantiation meant or any of that. But I knew it was something very, very special, you know. And um, so how you explain it to the children now, I think uh, I think that is really good. Well, praise God. I hope I hope it helps. I hope it helps yes. at least one of them come yes. to a, a great love for, for Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, we're actually coming up to uh, the end of our first episode. Time does fly when you're having holy conversation. <laughs> um, so, Archbishop, um, would you kindly give us your blessing? And as we uh, part ways at the end of our first episode here of Peace and All Good. Sure. Again, my thanks uh, for giving us the opportunity to, to speak uh, to your audience. And uh, we hope that we've uh, inspired you to listen to further broadcasts of uh topics that we'll be discussing uh, in the near future. But I also want to invite uh, everyone in the Archdiocese of Atlanta, Catholic or non-Catholic, I would like to invite you to our Eucharistic Congress uh, on June the 17th and 18th near the airport at the Georgia International Convention Center, June the 17th and 18th. Speakers from around the United States will uh, enlighten us about the Eucharist, give us something to think about and reflect on, and then to celebrate the Eucharist together. So please, mark your calendars now. It's free. Bring your family, uh, bring your friends. We'd love to see you there. Thank you for your attention and for listening to us today. We thank Sue and Father Michael, uh, and I'm very happy to be a part of this discussion. So as a a final uh, word of uh, departure, I would like to offer a blessing to all those who are listening Really open your heart. Uh, Listen to the the voice of God who wants so much to speak with us. But we need to turn the noise down. We need to to enjoy some quiet, uh, to be able to really listen to what he has to say and what we have to say to him, and to spend some time in church after Mass, after a service, or come into a church uh, during the week and just sit with the Lord and uh, have a conversation and listen to what he says, because he is the word that was made flesh and dwells among us. And so I ask that the blessing of Almighty God come upon you all, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 This has been Peace and All Good with the Archdiocese of Atlanta's own Archbishop Gregory John Hartmeyer, brought to you in part by the Catholic Foundation of North Georgia. Thanks for listening to AM 1160, The Quest.